Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if this is your first time here or you're relatively new to the church, my name is Chris. I'm the RUF campus minister at Kennesaw State University, and it is a great joy and privilege to be sharing God's word with you today. I have missed being up here with y'all. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. And hear now the word of the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like air them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray one more time. Father God, we thank you for your word. And uh, as you tell us in the parable of the sower, that your word goes out uh, and seeks out many different types of soil. And Lord, we pray that when your word goes out to us today, it would find good soil, that you would prepare good soil in our hearts for your word to take root that it would grow and grow over many years, that it would bear fruit uh, 30, 60, 100-fold to your glory, to the building up of your kingdom, and for our joy. Prepare me to speak now. Prepare us to hear. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, so a while back, I was sitting with Matt O'Sullivan. We were having lunch, and was talking about this psalm and what I felt like the Lord was kind of teaching me from it. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to preach it someday. And as I was sharing some of the stuff from it, he was like, you should preach this psalm to our church. So if you don't like my message, uh, Matt O'Sullivan, you could take it up with him. All right, but let's start with this question. Uh, what kind of heritage are you leaving behind? What kind of heritage or what kind of legacy are you leaving behind? Uh, we have this saying in RUF where whenever someone asks us, like, how's the ministry going? We say, well... Ask me in 10 years. And the reason we say that is because our goal, our measure of success, is not how many people we can get into one room at one time. Or even, and maybe this sounds a little controversial, how many uh, confessions of faith in Jesus we can get at one time. No, because actually our measure of success is that God would be at work in students' lives long-term, that long after they graduate college and they're far away from RUF, that they would still find their identity in Jesus and in his church. That that's the kind of heritage, the kind of legacy we hope to leave behind. And really, that's the heritage and legacy all those in God's church, all those faithful followers of Jesus hope to leave behind as well. A beautiful legacy, a long-term legacy of bearing fruit for the kingdom. And yet, that's not the only option <laughs> in the world. Uh, there are many kinds of legacies or heritages you can work for uh, to leave behind. In our own passage, we see talk about uh, the building of a house or the protecting of a city or the tending of a farm. I mean, in so many ways, these are reflecting right, our own anxieties about life, uh, food, shelter, security. And not only do we often work towards those things, those seemingly good and important things, but then there are even the kinds of heritage and legacy we want to leave behind 
that can reflect a, a pridefulness in our own heart, right? We want to build a big business that leaves an impact. Uh, we want to be well-known in your community. There are all kinds of heritage and legacies we can seek to leave behind. But as Solomon, the author of this psalm, points us to, that anything that is separated from the work of Christ is ultimately in vain. And so the key truth I want us to think about as we go through this passage is that because Jesus is the cornerstone of the family of God, we are part of a home that is built to last. Let me say that again. Because Jesus is the cornerstone of the family of God, we are part of a home that is built to last. And I have two points here. They fit nicely in how the psalm breaks down. So the first point is building a house of vanity, looking at verses 1 and 2. And then we'll see growing the family of God, verses 3 through 5. So let's look again at verses 1 and 2. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. There's this reflection here on what our work and our effort often goes into. Right? I mean, building a house is not an inherently bad or sinful thing. Uh, A watchman on the walls protecting a city is not a bad or sinful thing. And yet there's a way that we we can put all of our time and energy into something, that we can strive for something so much so that it reflects not a faith in God and His sovereign hand to protect and provide for His people, but actually... Uh, really, a faith in ourselves that if we don't do it, then it won't be taken care of. If we don't guard our own life, that no one will. If we don't build our own house, that no one will. Or later on, it uses the language of planting of a garden, right? That if we don't work in our own fields, then no one will provide for us. What do you find yourself working hard for? There is a way of life that can work hard that can be successful, that can be diligent in all that's before you, that can have a good reputation in the world, and yet can ultimately be in vain, can have no foundation, no eternal significance, because it's ultimately separated from God. Universities are a massive example of this. I mean, I get to work at a university, work with college students, and it's great, and I highly recommend anyone who has the chance, please go to college, young people, Please, if you hear me, go to college if you can. But at the same time, every university is selling this message. If you come here, if you give us your money, (laughs) and you work hard, and you're diligent, you build your resume, that this is the path to a better life, to more money, more security, more stability, that everything will be better if you just work hard while you're here. It's built on that premise that they can provide a good life. And by many measures of worldly success, it's true. I mean, you can go to college and hopefully get a better job and make more money and by worldly standards live a great life, but it can be built on something other than Christ. It can reflect a life lived in vain. I mean, working with college students, I think verse 2 is so key, right? It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. I mean, to me, that just sounds like pulling an all-nighter, right? Anyone ever pulled an all-nighter? Yeah, I mean, some of y'all adults probably are still pulling (laughs) all-nighters. Yes, there's this sense that, oh, like, I've got to work harder. I've got to get up earlier. I've got to stay up later. 
Like, and if I don't do this, then everything is going to fall apart. Everything is going to fail. And there are times, right, when that kind of work might be necessary. But the day in, day out, anxious laboring, anxious toiling, I have to do this. I have to prove myself. I have to keep things going. got to keep the plates spinning. Reflects not a faith in God, a restlessness instead of the rest that we will see here at the end of verse 2. I often call this the gospel of hustle, and it really pervades our culture, and it's really just another version of the prosperity gospel. That if you work a little harder, toil a little longer, that your faith will prove itself right. That faith is, it's like a muscle, and if you just like squeeze it hard enough, you can get the result you want. That it's ultimately up for you, up to you. And we see this reflected in these very uh, normal things, right? I mean, he's talking about building a home, security of a city, uh, growing a garden. I mean, like, what is it called? Maslow's Pyramid of needs, right? Is that the right term? Yeah. It's like, you know, we need those things, right? You need food. You need security. You need shelter. And yet they can totally suck in all of our time and energy that we find ourselves actually quite far from God's kingdom and what he is calling his people to be. These seemingly good things, these necessary things, these normal things that God can use you in, yes, but can also completely absorb our life. We see this kind of vanity displaying itself in different seasons of your life. Young people, let me speak to you first. Uh, do not spend your life living in vain. I mean, in so many ways, there's often kind of two opposite messages you get. One is you're young, so like, don't work too hard. Don't take things too serious. Have fun. Enjoy it. You can take the important things of life serious later on, right? When you're older, you know, right now you just need to enjoy life. Be silly. The other extreme is, young people, you got to work hard now. Other people are getting ahead of you. you got to take all the AP classes. you got to do all the internships. you got to, you know, build your resume now. If you're not doing it, someone else is. Come on. <laughs> we have these two extremes that ultimately can be built on vanity and not on Christ. And parents, if we're honest, sometimes we can feed that in our children as well. Working people and parents, don't let your life be defined by the vain purposes of this world. That you only exist to build your career, to amass wealth, and the end. <laughs> that there is so much more God wants for his people. He doesn't just want them to have bigger houses, better schools for their kids, fancy vacations, or dare I say even perfect children. <laughs> no, that God wants so much more for you. And in many times, we feel that tension that even our labors in this way can feel so vain that God surely can't use these mundane things of life. I mean, especially mothers, right, with your children, you're caring for your children, and, you know, there's that sense that the world gives that, well, you're not, like, economically contributing to society, so maybe it's not really valuable what you're doing. I had a friend recently say uh, she went to, like, a very prestigious university, you know, was in, like, a very high-achieving track uh, in Washington, D.C., one of her professors in college was saying, like, the stuff you learn in this class, you're going to use to go out there and change the world. And then a few years later, she got married, and she had her first kids, and she was changing a poopy diaper, and she said, they lied to me. <laughs> like, I'm not changing the world. I'm changing a diaper. The sense that you're a laborer to care for your 
And yet, as we'll see in the second half, that it is anything but vain, that God sees it as immensely valuable. And older people, I mean, man, in our high-efficiency culture, (laughs) if you're retired, if you're not working, the message is often, you no longer have value to society. Let me tell you that that is not at all how God sees you, that your life is not in vain even now, that you have so much more to contribute to his kingdom to be used by him. That all of these things God is pointing to us, that there's a, the understanding of vanity that the world can offer, and then there's the deep contrast that God gives. That a life lived for him, whether it includes building a house or watching over a city or planting a garden, if it's lived for him, if it's guided by his will and wisdom, that it will not be one lived in vain, but that his own eternity will be working through it. I mean, we talk a lot about, like, you know, what's the difference between humans and animals, right? Well, you know, a lot of even sociologists will say, well, humans kind of build stuff that, like, lasts. They have that long-term perspective. And as Christians, we can say, yeah, I mean, Scripture speaks to that. God has put eternity into man's heart, that we yearn for something that lasts beyond this world, that the yearning for a, a heritage or a legacy comes from the fact that we are made in His image, But because of our sin, we are often striving after the wrong things, striving after leaving behind the wrong kind of legacy. The language here in this psalm of of a building of a house versus the growing of a family, this is reflected in other parts of Scripture as well. If we go back to the book of Genesis, we see in Genesis chapter 11 that all the people of the world come together and say, hey, let's build this giant tower. Let's build this giant tower so that the world will know our name, so that we can glorify ourselves. And I love, you know, in the original language, uh, like, you know, God's answer is kind of sassy. He's like, where's that giant tower that they're building? Like, you know, man's achievements are so tiny compared to the God who can create the universe. And ultimately, that's not his desire, that man's work would glorify himself, that it would build up his own name. And so he He destroys the tower. He spreads out humanity. And there is this sense at the end of that passage of hopelessness. I mean, humanity just came together on this awesome building project. They were super unified. We're all craving for unity these days, right? They were super unified in this project. And yet, it was not one that was seeking after God. It was not one built on him as the cornerstone, but on their own vanity. And yet, it's that next chapter where God says, let me show you how I'm going to build my kingdom. And he goes to Abraham, a man already in his later years, and says, I'm going to start a family out of you. And he says, well, God, we're already past childbearing age. We haven't been able to have, how are we going to start a family? And God says, I'm going to work through you. I'm going to do what you cannot do for yourself. And, you know, eventually they have Isaac, and you got to wonder if Abraham's like, God, like you said, we're going to have a family as big as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore, and you gave us one child. <laughs> like, how are we seeing this plan to, to bless the world and transform the world come about just by the one? That God wants to work through his family in his timing and in his way to leave behind this great heritage of salvation in the world. That he doesn't need us to come together to build giant castles to our own achievements. But instead, he wants us to see how he can use one person 
one family, one community that's already past age and the world would count them out and completely unable to do anything, that God could use those people to further his kingdom purposes in the world. The tower was building to man's achievements, but Abraham's family reflects the work of God. That often we find ourselves working ourselves to death to find a place and a sense of family in this world that only God can bring about, that only God can heal our broken sense of family that we all crave. That it will be a family not formed through natural means, but bound together through the one son doing it for us. We can see this in Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, if you got your insert, our uh, assurance of pardon says this beautifully. Ephesians 2, 17 through 22, talking about the work of Jesus to bring his disparate family together. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That God's desire is not to build giant buildings, giant castles that reflect our own achievements, but to build a massive family that shows his redemption and his glory. A family that everyone would count off. I mean, let's be honest, like, it's almost easier <laughs> to build a building than it is to raise a family. Can I get an amen from some parents in here? I mean, like, you know, with a building, you get blueprints. But with kids, there's no instruction manual, <laughs> right? <laughs> We're constantly stumbling along. And, you know, any parent will tell you, like, the guilt you feel of, like, oh, man, I, I feel like I'm just messing up all the time. <laughs> and, you know, only by God's grace can these children be raised in any semblance of goodness that it's got to be God at work in his family. So let's look at our second point here, the growing of the family of God, verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, if we kind of step back, we look at this psalm and we think, this is kind of a strange, like, leap here. He's talking about, you know, working in vain and building of houses and stuff like that. And then we jump to, like, but children are a blessing and, you know, have more children if you're able to. Like, okay, what in the world is, is God trying to say to us through this psalm written by Solomon? Well, we see that while there's many things we can work for that are ultimately to reflect our own glory but end up being in vain. That the work to grow and seek the growth of the family of God is a work that God loves and blesses. And yes, we can take this literally as it's a blessing to have children and to see your family grow. But also because of Jesus, we can see this reflected in the wider family of God, that we have spiritual children that we can pour into both near and far. And brothers and sisters, we have some really beautiful examples of that here in our church. I mean, I think about a couple weeks ago when Stephanie Knapper led that little children's choir singing praise songs to Jesus and playing the bells. Like, the world would look on that and say, like, 
what a massive waste of time. <laughs> Why would you corral a bunch of kids and teach them a silly song? Like, you know, I don't know, are they all going to be like musicians someday so they can capitalize on that financially? We're saying, no, like, this is extremely valuable pouring into our children, teaching them the words to praise Jesus with, taking the time to show them God values them even in their little age. We have great examples of that in our youth group. I mean, Paul Wagner, if you don't know, has been serving with the youth ministry longer than some of our youth students today have been alive. And what an amazing heritage that God would use him and work through him to bless our young people in that way. And there are so many more people in this room. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, in RUF, when we say, like, our measure of success is how people are doing in 10 years. I mean, there are many of you, whether it was youth group or a campus ministry of some sort, you are here today because someone poured into you, saw you as a spiritual child worthy of spending time mentoring, discipling, and seeing grow in maturity and raised up in the faith. That God wants to leave behind this great heritage in the work of Christ in and among his people. That he wants us actually to glory in seeing God's spiritual children. A man who did not have biological children of his own said, you are the children. John in John, uh, the third book of John, John, third John, that's what it's called. Uh, John says, I have no greater joy than this than knowing that my children are still walking in the faith. That is a great joy to see the blessings of the Lord in our spiritual children raised up. And I love the language here of like verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Like the idea that as you pour into young people and, and fellow believers to see them raised up, like they become dangerous, but in a good way, right? Like these are like, you know, weapons in the hand of God that he can use to further his kingdom in the world. I love that image that, yeah, they actually, as we see people mature in their faith, they do grow in, in value and in the ways that they can serve the kingdom. And so we have to check ourselves and wonder, man, like, how do we see the people around us? Do we see them the same way God does, as, as potential members of the family of God, of, of valuable contributing members of the family of God? Or do we see the people around us as obstacles? Do we see them as people who get in the way, stumbling blocks for us? Or are they opportunities to grow the family? Are they opportunities to see God's glory manifest in a new way among us? I mean, will you look at the people around you as potential family members, or will you see them as the bricks and the spackle building your own castle to your own glory? In Hebrew, we see this word house often has two meanings. Yes, it can mean building, but it can also mean family. God says this to David. He says, I'm going to build you a house. When David says, I want to build a house for God, he says, I don't need you to build me a house. I'm going to build you one, and I'm going to build it through your family. I mean, Solomon, the writer of this psalm, is a reflection of that. <laughs> like, if you know the history of how Solomon's mom and dad got together to make him, right? Like, things were not pretty. <laughs> there was lots of sin there, and yet by God's grace, God used him and called him and blessed his ministry. And so you got to wonder if Solomon writing this is thinking, man, you know, he's considered one of the richest men ever, the wisest men ever. If he's saying, you know, more than the money, more than the palaces and the temples and all that, 
Man, being considered a member of the family of God is the sweetest gift I could have ever received. That Solomon knew what it meant to not be worthy to be in the family, to be in the house, and yet to be graciously invited in. That God is calling us to invest in those around us, to see his children grow by grace. That this is a great blessing to us. That the point of this psalm when it's talking about laboring in vain is not to say don't work. (laughs) It's not to say your work is meaningless, but it's to say see God at work through you. That your work is not just about amassing your own security and comfort and riches, but your work should be to further his family, to bring it together. And let's be honest, sometimes with raising children, as well as trying to reach the lost for Jesus, it's a tricky process. Uh, There are many times when we get frustrated. Just like raising children, uh, the lost often don't listen to us. Uh, Many times with raising children, new Christians are often very immature, and it takes a lot of patience. And I thought that was beautifully reflected in this quote by Derek Kidner, the great Old Testament commentator, saying, It is not untypical of God's gifts that first they are liabilities, or at least responsibilities, before they become obvious assets. The greater their promise, the more likely that these sons will be a handful before they are a quiverful. That just like children take time and energy and years in investing in before they can ever be a help around the house. So in a similar way, when we're reaching out to the lost and seeking to invite them into the family of God, it's going to take time, and it's going to take patience. I mean, new believers, they don't know reform theology. They don't know when to sit or stand in the service. It's going to take our loving patience for these new believers, for children in the faith to grow and mature. That we too, many of us still reflect many immaturities, myself among them, right? That we too have so many ways we still need to grow in the faith. That we too were once new to the faith, didn't know our right hand from our left, and yet God by his grace called us in. That God can use even the least likely, those who are furthest from the family, to be an integral member of the family here and now. You know, this contrast of uh, the building of a house in vain and the growing of the family, I think the thing that really struck me is the fact that, man, like in America at least, and you know, places like Europe too, you can go around and you can see beautiful old church buildings, many of whom are empty, for sale, they're museums now. And, you know, I reflect on our own church, We don't have a building. And yet, what a blessing it is to have people here in this room, that it is not an empty space. Not to put too fine a point on it, but man, like, you know, we hope and we pray we get our own church building someday, but brothers and sisters, no, we don't need a building to be doing the work of the Lord, to be seeking the family to grow, that we have plenty of opportunities around us. And whether the Lord blesses us with a massive cathedral someday or whether we're here for a long time, God can still use our labors. The less we ever think that we need to build a monument to our own legacy in a building instead of seeing the legacy poured out in children raised up in the faith, new believers being brought in, seeing baptisms and confessions of faith, 
that that's the true reflection of the family growing, the true blessing of his work in and among us. Work that is blessed by the Lord is work that will prove out over time to serve and grow the family. You know, often when I meet a new person, especially say a student on campus, I'll often just mentally start praying and say, Lord, I'd love to see this person in glory one day. I'd love to be standing next to them when I stand before the Lord in heaven. Then let that be our prayer. Whoever we meet, whether it's in your workplace or your kids' school or even our own children that we raise here in this church. To wrap things up, my father was a home builder. He worked in construction and he loved seeing, you know, like a, a housing development go from nothing, you know, just flat, rocky land into this beautiful development over time with homes and gardens and everything. It's a great joy of his life. But he said, you know, many people can start a job, but few can finish it. But we can often peter out over time. And yet, it's amazing how often in the latter part of the New Testament, books like Hebrews and James, where the emphasis is on perseverance in the faith, perseverance in seeking the family to grow, that there are hard times in the Christian life. There are times when we don't see many people coming to faith. There are times when we don't see new children being brought in, and we wonder, God, are you still at work? God, are you still blessing the labor of our hands, or is this all in vain? And his message to us is that even in the midst of our labors, even in the midst of, of our seeking to be faithful to God's call in our life to further his family, that God is the one at work, that God is faithful even when we see faithlessness around us, that God will bring people in whether it's a trickle or a flood, that the fact that the church has lasted thousands of years now is a testimony not to us, not to our own legacy, but to God's faithfulness to his people, to his own promises, to see his kingdom grow, to see the lost be brought in and called family. So brothers and sisters, will you seek to build an empty castle that will glorify your own achievements? Or will you seek to further the family of God even at great cost. The Lord is building his house, and he's building it on Christ. And we are graciously called to join our lives and our work to see the family grow, to leave behind a great heritage for the next generation. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this conviction that many times we seek what is in vain. Even good things, Lord, we can toil and work ourselves to death instead of find rest in Christ and what he is doing in the world. Lord, we pray that you would give to your beloved rest on this Sunday, that this Sabbath day would be one where we can rest in your work, rest in the fact that you will be faithful to your promises long term. Lord, we pray all this in your name. Amen.